This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Chief Content Nerd at Love My Nerd, and this is the Humans Gaming Podcast. I nailed that intro. I'm joined with uh, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, I am Chris, as Drew said. Uh, and you're I'm, a year older. I am a year older. I just had a birthday. Had a whirlwind of a birthday weekend. Yeah, thanks. My wife uh, surprised me by paying for one of my friend's to fly out here to play games with me so she didn't have to because uh, yeah. she's not like super into games i mean she likes like party game kind of stuff which i'm just right. i've played pretty... secret hitler with her before yeah she's a good liar and uh, you were there it yeah. wasn't just me and her right yeah uh so yeah she paid someone to play games with me basically that's pretty cool yeah i'm uh i have a new life goal and that's yeah. to get ashley to pay for me to play games with you <laughs> yeah someday i'm coming for you ryan we'll see i'm gonna be coming for that the problem is that uh ryan i think just has uh, it's a losing i don't think i'll ever get there because ryan has he doesn't have kids and, and so right you know he's gonna play more games online with you and that kind of thing and just yeah, yeah like, we've been playing him and I have been playing through uh like a bunch of the Souls games. So like we played yeah, Dark Souls two. Uh we just finished Bloodborne. We're kinda taking a break now doing like Borderlands two, just like a little palate cleanser. Okay. It's funny because yeah, like he he had he's not really played it before. I've played it before. Uh but like the first time he died uh again, we we're coming from like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, okay, where death is a constant and yeah. also really devastating. And so he died in Bloodborne or he died in Borderlands and like you just get to respawn and he's like, that's it? Like there's no <laughs> there's no yeah. like penalty. There's nothing bad. And I'm like, dude, this is, you know, we're that's just, how most games work. Yeah, right. <laughs> These days, you exactly. know. Exactly. That's funny. Did he like Bloodborne? Oh, he's played those before. Oh, yeah. Okay, we had okay. we'd both yeah. played those before. Okay, um, nice. Well, Man, I'd love to play Bloodborne again all the way with people. Well, that you need to play fun. Sekiro now. I'm I'm actually playing Sekiro right now, and it oh, is oh, nice. so good. Oh, really? It's so I, good. It feels intimidating to me because it doesn't have that leveling system, right? Uh, kind. Of, it's not the same. It's different. So, okay, let me give you a little. Uh, we are actually going to talk to our guest, but I you <laughs> you brought up this stuff, so. Uh, Joe, do you do you play uh, video games? I at do all? play video games. Yes, uh, I'm definitely. Have you played into any first person shooters? Soul- okay, nice. Oh, so yeah. you haven't played the Souls. Games, I have I not. Well, have, you have you played Borderlands? Uh, no, I haven't played Borderlands either. Um, I'm uh, a little behind on video games. <laughs> I've been busy with board <laughs> gaming, so. Yeah, yeah, you've been making a board game, which is doesn't take any time at all. Oh really. no, no, it's just super easy. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Sorry, Chris. Go ahead and finish. Then we'll we'll get into talking to Joe. <laughs> so I've had this thought about Sekiro, and because it's it 
it seems to be a little bit polarizing. Like it's getting really good reviews, like from, you know, major outlets and stuff, but like from some of the diehard fans, it's like, it's, it's so different that people are just like, Oh, this isn't a souls game or this isn't, you know, a from, you know, from software or whatever. But like, I kind of had this thought where I'm a big Mumford and sons fan. And Mm -hmm. so we're going a little music nerd here just a little bit. (laughs) And like, you know, Mumford came out with their first two albums and they like basically created a genre of music. Right. And, you know, with those first two albums, like this folksy kind of rock kind of just really unique, you know, not that yeah. folk didn't exist before, but like they, I don't know, they just did something different and created this kind of little niche genre. And, sure. you know, then all the imitators came after. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were good. Like there were some of them that were like good, but nobody was Mumford. You know, like they, they were the ones and then their third album came out and it was so different. Um, like it was not this folky banjo kick drum kind of jam. It was just really different, but it still had that kind of Mm -hmm. that Mumford feel. Uh, and then their fourth album just came out like a few months ago or something. Uh, yeah. And again, another departure, like still, it's still them, but it's not. And that to me is what From Software has done. Like they made Dark Souls. They literally created yeah. a genre of game and they had all the imitators coming afterwards, you know, Lords of the Fallen and Salt and Sanctuary and Dead Cells and um, what's that other one? The Surge, like all these other that one imitators. It's like, it's like Samurai kind of? Oh, Neo. Neo. Yep. Neo. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Bloodborne, like they departed a little bit from the formula, but it's like still mm-hmm. the same, you know, it's still got that same soul. <laughs> right. Uh, and then <laughs> dude, Sekiro comes on the scene and it's like super different, but it's just enough the same that it is like, it's really good. Yeah. So I'm, I really I'm super that. into it. And I think people need to remember, like, From Software has a long history of making games. Like, they did the Armored Core games yeah. and, like, Kingsfield. And so it's not like it's not like they've only ever made Souls, like, quote-unquote Souls games. Yeah. So. But it's, like, after playing through these again with Ryan. Well, I had previously only played, like, Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne. And then with Ryan, like, I played Dark Souls 2 and now Sekiro. I'll eventually go back for, like, Dark Souls 1 um dude it's like it's one of my favorite series of all time at this point it's oh yeah yeah so joe you should if once you finish a board game and you have some time yeah (laughs) you should you should try dark i went on a i went on a tirade he brought it up i I like having recommendations for games that i need to play dark soul got it it'll be hard and frustrating for a while but if you'll push through it it's It's like really just wonderfully designed games just very thoughtfully designed. Anyway, so Joe, uh, you've got a board game that you're working on. That's on Kickstarter. That's that's right. Uh, I've been working on a game called Endangered, uh, and yes, it's on Kickstarter now. It's on Kickstarter until April 26th. And your last name is Hopkins. Sorry, I did. I don't know if I introduced you. Oh yeah, fully. Joe Hopkins. Yes. But, and uh, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Michigan. Uh, I live in the Detroit area. Uh, I grew up um, in a tiny little farm community. Uh, my dad was actually a dairy farmer and uh, now I'm 
uh, moved over to the big city over in Detroit. So is your, like, have you always been playing board games? Uh, no, I mean, your background? when I was in college, I was mostly into video games. Uh, when I was younger, I played a ton of board games with my brothers and sisters. Uh, I got into video games um, around the time of high school and college. And then um, after that, uh, my friends and I, we bought a copy of Agricola and um, mm-hmm. got me really big into modern board gaming. How did you like land with Agricola? <laughs> uh, uh, like who did somebody, this is sort of like a classic that a lot of people really love, yeah. but like, I feel like most of us grew up with board games or I think a lot of people say like, oh yeah, I grew up with board games. But what they mean is that like Monopoly. Monopoly growing up. Yeah. Which like no shame, right? No, I know, no. Like, Risk. Some people hate it or whatever, but. Uh, but yeah, Monopoly, Risk, Battleship, like I grew up with those games. Oh, me too. Um, but I don't, but like, I don't know that I liked them a lot, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but, but like Agricola, that's like, that's serious. That's, that's, uh, people who are really into games often like will cite that one as sort of like one of the first games they play. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious how you get into it, but it's like. That's for people who are, are hobbyists, for sure. So, like, how did you get into that? Yeah, so, um, like I said, one of my friends uh, suggested we buy this game. So he'd heard about it. Uh, I'm not sure where, but um, it was a $70 board game, which is super expensive. So we we all chipped in. Yeah. So, yeah. so I co-owned Agricola. I didn't just own it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah you had a share yeah, i had a you share had a, of a, the of the like a 30 percent what 25 percent share how much did you buy into it yeah i had it on mondays and tuesdays <laughs> that's right shared custody that's great uh so yeah we bought that game and i really loved it um and started you know getting into some of these other modern games but uh i was like that was 70 dollars. like that's way too expensive i could just design a board game myself and uh, and we could play it. So that's how I got into board game design. That's cool. So was uh, so yeah. you've designed some other games previous to Endangered. Yeah. So I've been designing board games for ten years now. Endangered will be my first published mm. game, uh, and that one's on Kickstarter now. Uh, I have another game that's signed with a publisher called Pew Pew, mm. <laughs> and uh, I like it. it's. Yeah, it's signed with Academy Games, and it's a dexterity game, and that's going to be coming out later this year as well. Is it just like you have to do finger guns at people, and whoever does the best finger guns? <laughs> no, but there's 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 all kinds of crazy flicking me- mecha- mechanisms. It's mm-hmm. very different from Endangered. Yeah, uh, Endangered is it is a dice placement, uh, worker placement, cooperative game. Uh, Pew Pew's dexterity competitive. So. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have to say pew pew when you when you flick things? Uh, yeah, that's a rule. You have to, it makes it more fun. No, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you should incorporate. That'll that be a somehow. house rule for me. Okay, so tell us about endangered. You 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 gave us a little bit, but um, yeah, what, yeah, what makes you so unique? absolutely. So uh, endangered is a cooperative game where the players play as conservationists trying to save a species from extinction. So uh, the core game is going to have two scenarios it's going to have the tiger scenario and the sea otters uh and then we have some stretch goals for the panda scenarios and uh the uh, sea turtles so uh yeah we got a lot of really cool stretch goals i'm hoping we reach um but it's a uh dice placement game so uh what you do is you you roll your dice and then you place your dice on the actions just like a work placement mm-hmm. game and they let you do lots of different things like you know move the animals and clean up the deforestation and stuff. Uh, but what's unique about that is 
Um, in a normal worker placement game, once you place your worker, no one else can use that action. It's blocked. Sure. Uh, but in this game, you can have multiple people use the same action. It's just that when you place your dice, they have to be bigger than the dice that are already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of getting in each other's way, and you don't want to. So in a normal competitive worker placement game, uh, it's good to block people. Uh, but in this one, um, it's cooperative. Right. So you you, you want to make sure everybody can use those. I don't know if I've so, played a, uh, yeah. a cooperative worker placement or dice placement. Yeah. I uh, I pretty much said, you know, I want to do a cooperative game. Uh, what mechanisms, what mechanics do I like? And mm-hmm. I like I like dice placement or sorry, worker placement. So I was like, mm-hmm. do cooperative worker placement. So how would you, how would you explain it? Cause there's, I'm sure there's people listening and they're like, well, I have no idea what worker placement is. So they just spaced out. Oh, sure. Uh, what, yeah. yeah so, give them a, give them a rundown. Yeah. So uh, on the board, there will be lots of different actions, lots of different things that you can do. You can do all kinds of different mm-hmm. things, but in order to do any of them, you have to put one of your dice onto that card. And by doing that, it may it might block the other players from being allowed to use that action, to use that ability. Um, so you go from a pool of lots of different things that you can do, but as people are blocking you, you have less options. So in a normal competitive worker placement game like Agricola, uh, you want to you know build your farm, you want to you build your house. You put your worker on there, and now you build your house, and no one else can do it, Yeah, uh, which is good for you. Um, but in this game, you are trying to help each other, uh, so you have to cooperate to make sure. Uh, do you need to do this? Do you? Is it okay if I block this action? So it, it generates a lot of really interesting discussion, a lot of really good... Yeah. Uh, Lively like, discussion, family. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We probably have a few people that haven't played cooperative board games either. Um, I'm sure. So what you mean by that, like, or, or I guess maybe we should say what that means in this game so you're you're as a group you're all playing together against the board that's right and that means that you all win or you all lose right and who is the who is the board in this case like who are you fighting against to win or whatever so in the tiger scenario um during the game there will be different impact cards that come out and those represent the human impact on the environment so those will be things like poachers Mm -hmm. deforestation uh problems that will that these species actually face in the real world uh on the sea otter scenario it's an oil spill and it moves towards your animals and you have to keep cleaning that and keep that uh from from touching your animals so so did you do some like research and stuff i assume for the oh absolutely yeah, I did a lot of research on the different threats that these species faced. Um, so there are quite a lot of uh, board games out these days that are, you know, um, you're building a city in the past or you're building, you know, you have aliens and you're building spaceships yeah. in the future. Uh, right. But this one, I wanted a Fending game. off against people... zombies or. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and zombies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wanted a game that people could see themselves in, a, a game that people could relate to. Yeah. Uh, and so to do that, yeah, I had to do plenty of research to. Uh, make it feel correct. Mm-hmm. So in order to win the game uh, as a group, you have to convince the UN to pass a resolution to save the tigers. Um, mm, and yeah. so you're during the game, you're putting influence on these different UN ambassadors. Uh, and that's one of the actions that you can do is, is putting the influence out. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Uh, why, 
why this theme or why the endangered species thing? Like, was that something that was kind of already sort of near and dear to you or has that developed maybe now after making the game or where'd that come from? Yeah. So, uh, the environment has always been a passion of mine. Um, mm -hmm. and it's something that I've been trying to teach my son. He's really into, you know, recycling and, and cleaning up every so often we'll be walking down the street and he'll just pick That's up cool. trash off the, off the street. And we're like, wow. what are you doing? Um, but yeah. <laughs> How old is your son? Uh, he is seven years old. Yeah. The environment has always been a passion of mine. And so, when I decided that, you know what, I'm going to do a cooperative game, I need a theme, I need something that people can relate to, uh, this was just a perfect marriage of, you know, uh, my game design passion and my environmental passion. So um, yeah. I have been designing games for seven years. And during that whole time, I was like, you know, what, I don't want to do a cooperative game. I just did competitive <laughs> games uh, for seven years. Yeah. Sorry, I've yeah. been designing for I've been designing for 10 years. So uh for only th I've been working on this game for three years, but I, sh I should have done a cooperative game a lot sooner. It looks like. Mm, yeah, it's really different. Yeah. Are you generally like pretty competitive in games or? Uh, I like I like all kinds of games. Um, I'm I am very competitive, but uh, I like to work with people. I really am into Euro style games these days. Uh, those kinds of games, you actually get rewarded for helping each other sometimes. And that's another I'm just charged start thinking about because of Chris's question earlier about, you know, uh, what is a worker placement game? I'm realizing like there's probably a decent amount of people that listen to this. who don't know what these terms are. So what, what do we mean when we say Euro game? Yeah. Um, so earlier you guys were talking about, you know, monopoly and risk and sorry. Uh, those are American style games um, that, you know, there's Which sometimes, sometimes board gamers call them like the, like the snooty board gamers, at least. So, or maybe all board gamers, I don't know. They call them Ameritrash. Ameritrash right? games, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is, I guess, I don't see how you could read that as anything other than derogatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although yeah. there are some great, like, quote-unquote Ameritrash games out there. There are, yeah. <laughs> but a, a European-style game, um, those games uh, are a little bit different. Um, there's less luck involved. Um, all the players are involved right up until the end of the game. It can be very difficult to know who's going to win until the very end of the game. Uh, and so it makes it a little bit more exciting. Uh, the components are always a lot nicer. You know, your, bo your box doesn't fall apart like, you know, old Monopoly boxes did. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, uh, they're also um, usually a little bit shorter. Uh, games run maybe anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours um, versus, you know, game of risk could take who knows how long those monopoly games where like somebody has just enough property a monopoly to not be completely like blood dry but you keep playing until they are completely blood dry yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, those were the worst <laughs> yeah so it's like just put me out of my misery no for sure yeah so some popular uh euro games these days are things like uh ticket to ride um uh dominion um things yeah. like that so uh, but cooperative games are also, um, really popular these days. So pandemic, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you play, is there like a cooperative game you play that you really dig that kind of like made you go, I think I want to try my hand. Uh, there was, yeah. So, uh, I've loved cooperative games for a long time now. Um, but I knew how much balance and how much work they take. And so that's Ooh, why yeah. I hadn't designed one right away. Uh, but when I, played sentinels of the multiverse 
Oh, oh my that game man! Has very little balance, oh. but I love that game. I love that game so much. <laughs> True. Um, okay, but it's Joe, very unbalanced. Here's the thing. This is hilarious because Drew's gonna hate this, but like literally <laughs> the guest that we just had on last week, mm-hmm. Eddie Webb, um, he also brought up Sentinels in the Multiverse. I'm All a right. huge Sentinels fan. Great. Like it's it was one of my first co-op games and like i was just super into it so like me and eddie spent a good amount of time just geeking out about it and drew just had to sit there silently because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't really play it or know much about it have you played it Drew? And here we are again i've played okay. it once okay and we were talking about this with eddie i think i like i think i probably fell asleep during that yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's a bad game we talked about this earlier so i won't rehash it but it's a problem i have when I go visit Chris, the time it's a two-hour time difference because I live in Central Time Zone. He lives in Pacific, okay. mm-hmm. so there's like a two-hour time difference. So I usually get there late, and then we play a game, and I'll fall yeah. asleep. So, yeah, yeah, that one's a tough one so to just play tired. when you're when you're sleepy. There's a lot going on, a lot of crazy yeah. things. Yeah, you almost need like a a minor math degree to play that game. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and I do have math degrees. Anyway, but... sorry, Sentinels. <laughs> yeah, so for, oh, great. so when I when I played Sentinels, I was like, you know, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoy this, but uh, it, it's clear that it's not entirely balanced. So maybe I could mm. put together a cooperative game. Uh, and so I decided to try my hand at one. And and I and then since I have worked very hard to uh, make sure that my game is balanced, make sure that the game comes down to a very tight finish at the end. Um, so yeah. I won't say that I fixed Sentinels, but I, I noticed some of the problems uh. compared to <laughs> other cooperative games that people um, play. And so I said, you know what? I, I like this piece. I don't like this piece and kind of uh, yeah. incorporated those. I don't so envy, say- I don't envy that process. Cause like I, you kind of said this, but for me, the best co-op games are the ones that come down to the wire oh, at the end, right? And it's like, uh, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. just to a hair's breadth. And like, I I can't imagine what it takes to design for that, for yeah, those kinds of that? moments yeah. and the precision mm-hmm. required and the just the amount of playtesting required right. yeah, cause with to a get to that. Competitive game, if one player is starting to get a lead, um, you can usually rely a little bit on the other players to, you know, not just let them win. Um, so not, right. I mean, not always, but uh, as a designer, you can rely a little bit on your players. Uh, but when you're designing right. a cooperative game, uh, everyone's working together. And so you, the designer, the game have to provide that balance. Well, I'm curious because I, I do enjoy like some friends of ours who played through the first season of Pandemic mm-hmm. Legacy. We're actually not finished, but. Um, I don't know if we ever yeah, they moved. <laughs> so uh, and probably, they owned it. Probably not, yeah. But they came, they actually came and visited us oh, maybe a month ago and they brought it. They're like, we have to, you know, we have to <laughs> get a couple games in. So um so I have hope that we will eventually get through it, but it'll just take a while. But um so one of the things that, that that's great about obviously about cooperative games is that you're all playing together, you're all working together, there's teamwork that comes in there and you know, strategizing together. But I think there are people that sometimes just check out in that kind of environment because um, they don't know the game as well. And so they just like, all right, we'll let you do the strategy. Just tell me what to do. Um, I'm curious if like, you know, people call that quarterbacking. There's one person that kind of takes over. 
I'm curious if you've done anything to like try to combat that problem that sometimes creeps up. Yeah, I mean, play cooperative games. I know you can't completely. There, there but... are some games. There are some cooperative games that do a good job of completely eliminating that quarterbacking issue, that that alpha player issue. Um, but yeah, it's it's not mm-hmm. fun to play a game where one person is just telling you what to do and you're not making any choices. But um, yeah, anyone that makes a cooperative game has (laughs) to decide how they want to address that. Um, And some games do a really good job at addressing it. Uh, Some games like pandemic just completely ignore it. Um, (laughs) And, and there's, you know, there's different variations in between. What games do you think do a good uh, job? I think Hanabi does a really good job at that because the the rules indicate mm-hmm. that you're only allowed to give certain pieces of information. Um, so you have hidden information in that game. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there are games where you're not allowed to talk. There's no communication. So Magic Maze, I really love my I love Magic Maze. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. There's also games where you can quarterback and you can. Uh, be in that be that alpha player but there's uh it's a real-time game so you don't have time to do it um uh but um so those are games that really address it very well but then there are games like pandemic um and other cooperative games where uh that player can exist and a lot of cooperative designers just say you know what just don't play with that player it's kind of like if you play a competitive game and you play (laughs) with someone who is not trying to win they just want to screw everyone over that's not something you right, want, yeah. want yeah. to play with. But. So basically, you're telling me just don't play cooperative games with Chris. <laughs> wah, wah. Hey, <laughs> hey I've been working really hard, okay? And I'm doing much better. Yeah. yeah. No, I would agree with that. So um, we actually played Endangered with um, Chris Bedell, the designer of Sentinels of the Multiverse. And oh, right. he gave... Oh, cool. Yeah, he gave some good feedback. Um, he said that uh, you can address that alpha player quarterbacking issue um, without <laughs> actually eliminating it completely. Uh, and one of the things you can do is you can give all of your players a role. Uh, each player plays a, sp- a specific character that's good mm-hmm. at certain things. Um, so uh, in my game previously, all the players played uh, as basically the same person. They were the same average Joe guy. Um, Mm -hmm. Now uh, you can play as the zoologist and he's really good at dealing with the animals. You can play as the lobbyist who's really good at influencing the UN ambassadors. You can play as the philanthropist who gets lots of money. And so once you know your role, Mm -hmm. um, you don't end up getting quarterbacked as much because even if you're not totally familiar with the game, you're like, okay, I'm the philanthropist. I know I should be getting money. You know, how do I get money? Um, Mm -hmm. and, And also in, you know, this game, uh, you have lots of different actions available to you, but as they get blocked, it really boils down to three or four different actions that you're you're deciding between. And so instead of a, a situation where you have so many options, it's hard as a new player to know what to do, really it comes down to, should I do this, guys, or should I do one of these other two things? And so um, you don't end up with a situation where there's too much to too many decisions for a new player. This idea of like uh, quarterbacking or like alpha gamer, you know, like we haven't really maybe explained it clearly, but it's basically like just the one person. Maybe it's, you know, Chris, uh, the like you know, just really knows the game well or whatever, just kind of takes over and tells people what to do. 
So it just kind of sucks the fun out of the game. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but it's an interesting concept because it's it's a player problem, really. Like, it's not a... I guess at its root, it's not like a game design problem, I don't think. Because, like, there's certain groups of players that will never, never experience that because they don't have yeah. those kinds of players. Right. But you do hear about this, you know, people bring it up all the time in board game circles, like it's, it's the game's problem, but I don't, I don't know that it is. I think it's the player's problem, but it puts, it puts game designers in an interesting position because then you kind of get this target painted on you like, Oh, your game sucks because it allows for quarterbacking. But really it's like, no, your players suck because they quarterback. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Everyone wants to win, and so if you have a player who totally understands the game and they want to do, you know, they they think that this is the best way to win, um, right? As long as they are, you know, making it a discussion and saying, "Hey, I think we should do this because otherwise this thing could happen," and people are like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I didn't even think of that." That's a great interaction. Um, but it's also very close to, I think you should do this. Um, and everyone's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to do that. Stop telling me what to do. It's, it's, it's a, it's a fine line. And yeah, it comes down to the players and how much they actually want to discuss with each other and actually work together and not just be told yeah. what to do. And so, um, but you also want your players to be involved on every turn. Um, if it's, you know, my turn, I don't want you guys to just check out and not pay attention to what I'm doing. I want you to contribute and say, right. no, no, don't do that. Do this thing over here. And I'll be like, oh, that's a good idea. The dice themselves even help uh, eliminate that alpha player issue um, because you mm-hmm. don't know what people are going to roll on their next turn. Previously, we just had workers. And so uh, an alpha player could plan out the next three or four turns. Um, and and that was causing issues. So now you don't know what people mm. are going to roll. So you can really only discuss like what what should we do right now. It's interesting though, just this whole discussion because it sort of reveals how how much uh, and this is true of game design across the board, video games, board games, um, playground games. <laughs> but like <laughs> good game design uh, requires some effort to think about like human psychology and and um, like human nature, how are how are people going to interact with these things? Which I think makes the whole process really interesting. Um, but uh, I would be curious to hear, kind of to shift gears a little bit, like what what makes you want to make board games? Like what is it about board games that you find compelling or valuable that so would make you give your time to making something that someone else can play? Yeah, so um, I do play video games, but I also really like the social aspect of board gaming. I like sitting down with people and face-to-face being able to talk with them and experience the same thing. Um, I mean, I still enjoy cooperative video gaming or even competitive video gaming, but these days with it moving more toward online where I don't see you, might not even talk to you, um, it's, it's, it's much more isolating. And so I really like sitting down at the table with everyone and, um, so yeah, so I also, any hobby that I have, I like to also design. So uh, when I when I was a kid, I used to do lots of reading, so I also did lots of writing. Uh, I am an amateur magician, so uh, I make my own magic tricks sometimes. Um, so 
once I got into board gaming, it just naturally like, oh, I want to, I want to contribute. I want to make my own thing too. So Well, uh, we do like to get a little bit more personal on this podcast. So you talked a bit earlier about you grew up in Michigan, yes, you said, Michigan. right? What part of Michigan again? You said you live in Detroit now. Uh, I grew up um, on the again? west side of the state uh, in a tiny city called Morley. Um, I uh, grew up on a dairy farm. Yeah. What part of the uh, what part of the hand are you on? Don't people they, like point to a part on their do. hand when they're from yeah. Michigan? Yeah. Um. So. Because uh, it's like shaped like a hand, right? Correct. Like the palm yeah. Of your so hand. the bottom of the ring finger. The bottom of the ring <laughs> finger. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. I look ridiculous because I'm just sitting here staring at my hand. Yeah, you can look up Morley, Michigan, and then you'll know where it is. <laughs> and what what was that like? What's what's uh. What's that area? I assume it's fair, fairly rural because you grew up in the Yeah, it is. Um, it's very different from where I live now. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I went to uh, high school and graduated with 88 people. So a very small school. Wow. wow. And uh, did you like help with yeah, the farm and stuff? Yeah, I did. Um, really taught me milk get up and milk cows and things i assume you probably have like machines yeah we have machines but <laughs> even still it's it's plenty of work um you still have to get up early you still have to go out and do it so uh yeah i i helped with um the dairy farm and uh it definitely taught me how to work hard and how to really contribute and and care for the earth so did you uh did you hate that growing up or did you i guess you grew up to uh, like a, there were parts that i liked and there were parts i didn't like um i was never really interested in staying at the farm uh, my brother um is interested in continuing farming so he has his own farm that he's doing now um but yeah i i went mm. to college and i went and got a math degree and um moved on to other things so was uh did you like grow up in the church or anything? Was religion a part of your upbringing at all? I did. Um, I grew up in a Methodist church. Um, when I went to college, I uh, went to the Wesley Foundation on the campus and uh, okay. really. Met... I used to do that too in college because uh, they had free lunch. They, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So free free dinner. They at, know how to draw in the college students. Yeah, you could go. You could get free lunch twice a week at my school because one time was the methodist another one was the baptist so i was like you can knock <laughs> out two of, of your lunches uh, sick of eating ramen come <laughs> yeah. come yeah. have a hot and it was lunch always like, and find jesus it was always pretty good food because they would get churches like local churches to sponsor yep. the meals yep. and so they would bring like I, I don't know if this is like i'm stereotyping here but a lot of times it was these like kind of older folks from the churches that would cook the meal and so you were getting basically like grandma's home cooking for a meal oh yeah they were always great meals, yeah, yeah. no for sure yeah but uh yeah no the wesley foundation was awesome i met a lot of lifetime long friends uh that i'm you know still hang out with uh a couple of times a year um and uh That's and cool. play test endangered with them still so there they, you go nice yeah. um no it was it was good cool so is that still like so I assume you, you grew up in the Methodist church and stuff. So like it was like you would call yourself a Christian back then. Is that still the case now? It is still a case now. Um, my wife and I have not found a church uh, here in the Detroit area that we like, but we've um, visited a couple of them. Uh, we're still looking. 
Um, but yeah, we, it's hard. Yeah, it is. It is hard. Finding churches can be hard. Like I have sympathy for anybody who says that. Like, yeah. Ditto. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was, uh, back in college and we were, you know, talking about like, uh, you know, building websites and stuff like that, I, I said, if I ever do build a website, it's going to be called findachurch.org. And, <laughs> uh, cause it's, it's, it's a hard thing. Um, and it's not like you can yeah. just go on to a search engine and be like, I want a church that meets on, you know, Sundays between these times. It's got childcare. It's, you know, contemporary or traditional. Like you can't just put those filters in somewhere mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, within 20 miles of this zip code. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's more difficult than that. So it shouldn't be. Yeah. It shouldn't be. I remember when, <laughs> I remember when I was in, see, I actually was a pastor for a while. And uh, when I was in seminary and learning to be a pastor, that's when you know everything and stuff, you know, you're just like really smart and you know all the stuff about how church should work and everything. Like that whole idea was really offensive to me of like people shopping for churches. Mm. It's like the church is the body of Christ. <laughs> and like, you know, and I was like real uppity about it. And like, yeah. um, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't look for a, a church that, it's you know checks all these boxes for you you should just like go to church and, and give yourself to serve mm-hmm. the body uh but now that like i have three kids and <laughs> and like i've chilled out a little bit i'm like man i wish that sort of website yeah, would really be right? nice <laughs> yeah 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 totally no i follow you it's hard like we we went through my wife and i went through like a we had like a year and a half where we were looking around at different churches and like part of the the weirdness, I mean, I guess it depends on what you're looking for, the kind of involvement or engagement that you want from a church. But for us, it's like we're like looking for a new family. Correct. <laughs> like, what? How do you? How do you do that? How do you even begin to suss that out? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it was it was a drag. Ugh. Yeah, for us, like we, you know, having been a pastor before. Uh, before we came to Nashville, we live in Nashville now. Um, and having been a pastor, like my church was my family at the church we were at previously to coming here. Yeah. And it was like everybody, like all my best friends went to our church. And so that was where I had like people I hung out with, people I played board games with, people, you know. Um, and so now that we've, we're like visiting a new church and stuff and like, the process of finding a new church has taken a while for us and it's been sort of like challenging in different ways mm-hmm. for us. And so because of that, like we've, we've figured out ways to have like good friendships outside the church and like we've developed some community outside the church. Mm-hmm. And so now we're in this weird situation where we found a church that we like we're visiting, but it's, it's like, it feels almost like it's um, threatening what we've built since then <laughs> yeah you know what i mean mm, yeah it's like i'd t- if we get super plugged in i feel like i'm paying more than i probably should somebody's gonna listen to this and, uh, anyway but uh but it's like not not that anyone at this new church is doing anything wrong i mean they're just you only have so you know, much time yeah. like yeah, yeah yeah you only have so much time and it's like we have good like friends even like good christian friends and stuff that are not a part of our church and so like it, it, anyway it's just it's just hard it's weird yeah it's what i one of the things i like the least about 
the kind of day and age that we live in, like the information digital age where like we just, everything is so accessible and we are so accessible that it puts this undue unnecessary amount of like pressure and guilt on us to like do all the things connect to all the peoples all the times, you know, like I was just having this conversation the other day with somebody about like, you know, Facebook and, you know, you've got thousand friends on there or whatever. And like all these people that are in your newsfeed, like I've, I go through this purge every now and then where I just unfollow people that like aren't in my life anymore. Yeah. You know, like, I'm sorry, I don't need to see what somebody yeah. I had a class with in high school <laughs> ate for lunch. Yeah. I don't, it's not because I hate them. Is because like yeah. I've got enough, like I have enough people and enough <laughs> things going on that that's just yeah. one unnecessary yeah. thing. And I guess that it's kind of what I hear you saying about like, man, we feel like obligated, like, oh, we've got to connect all these people or, oh, we got to connect to these people. Like it's hard to, to find where those boundaries are, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, social media is a double-edged sword because I, uh, you find yourself, you know, using all of your time uh, on the computer looking at these things and not actually being face to face and having conversations with people that way. Um, but it has made things a lot easier to connect people to. I definitely know that um, yeah. the board game industry would not be as big as it is now uh, without social media. Um, oh, my sure. Kickstarter for Endangered like is pretty much run off of social media because these days you don't see yeah. board game commercials anymore like you know you don't turn turn on the tv and see commercials for these things it's all oh someone told me about oh, that's interesting I've yeah never someone really told about me about that. this yeah. game well where did they tell you well, they told you on social media usually or you went over to their house and they owned it and you're like oh that was fun but um but yeah i i i i know where you're coming from i am not super into social media I am on Twitter mostly just because I have to be. That's what all the board game designers are on. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah. if you wanted to. I should do yeah. it too. Like we end, you'll hear it today. We end like every episode with Drew. <laughs> Drew shares his Twitter and then he's like, and Chris doesn't have a Twitter because <laughs> I'm like, dude, Facebook's yeah, enough. Like just to time, have to yeah. deal with that. I'm like, who? Yeah. I posted this poll recently on Facebook of all places, asking people whether or not I should have an Instagram account. Um, I just never, I, I actually had one, but I didn't realize it. You know, I like signed up for <laughs> yeah, it and that's never like asking, used Should it I have ever. a car that I never um, drive? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah. I mean, like it was like 75 or 80% or something said I should have one. Um, so I got one. I don't use it a ton, but just like post pictures of my kids and like stuff that we do as a family. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but but the it was sort of stressful to me to even think about getting one just because I'm like, that's another like social media thing to mm-hmm. manage. And I already like sort of hate how my mind is trained to like in dull moments of the day to just pick up my phone. I can't like sit with my thoughts anymore. <laughs> like, it feels like impossible to uh, yeah. to do that anymore. And I know it like. I know it takes it. I know it's taking away from like my relationship with my kids. Um, so anyway, well, um, I, uh, I, I think I voted no on that. So did you, you should have uh, listened to me. I should have. 
Hey, um, Joe, I'm curious, um, kind of getting back to some of your story, like when you were growing up Methodist and I think you said around high school, you kind of started getting into video games. Like, was that ever a point of tension, the whole gaming? Cause I don't know how old you are, or what era you were growing up in, but obviously like we talked to a lot of Christians being Christians ourselves, we know like how there can be this contentious you know, thing between like, oh, you can't play video games and be a Christian or whatever. Uh, Was that ever yeah, a thing? My, my mom um, did not want me uh, spending a ton of time on um, video games or TV or anything like that. Um, so it was my dad that bought the first gaming system. And, um, and I feel like uh, through high school and college, I was, I was, uh, I played it a, a reasonable amount, but I could definitely see how people can uh, go overboard with, um, with those kinds of games. Um, these, these days, um, video game designers like specifically try to make the game as addictive as possible. Um, which I I understand. I mean, you're trying to make something that's fun, but, uh, as long as, you know, the players are still playing it in moderation, it's on, it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, uh, I, haven't introduced my son to like um, first person shooters or anything like that yet, but we still play video mm-hmm. games. We play, um, you know, we play Mario and stuff. So I wonder this just, I've never thought about this, but as you were talking about video games, like are legacy games, the equivalent of like loot boxes or, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, like for, bo- I'm trying to think of like, sure, what's the board sure. game equivalent. You know, and it feels like maybe it's legacy games because it gives you that. I mean, for me, at least like uh, me and a group of friends mm-hmm. played through yep. Gloomhaven this last year. And we are like for a full year, once a week played Gloomhaven. And after that year, we got to the point where we had unlocked everything and basically immediately stopped playing. There was still more game like there's more scenarios we could have done, yeah. but we'd already opened everything. And so we're like, oh, what's the point? But that's like such a smaller level than like the way well, I mean, boxes for, work and like I don't know. Yeah, Overwatch for any game, um, as a designer, you need to be paying attention to replayability. You need to be paying attention to. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to put a game on the table that people are going to play one time and say, "Oh, that was fun," and then move on. The best is when you have your players say, "Oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. Let's play it again." Um, and so. Mm-hmm getting to that point it's difficult and um the the real the real thing that drives people to enjoy a game and and, and get into it is those experiences where there are those memorable experiences where they connect to the game um so i tried to make so endangered for example is a very emotional game uh during the game sometimes mm. animals will be have to be removed from the board they get uh, they they get killed by poachers or whatever, and people are like no. no, and those situations are very memorable where everyone is like no no no, or when you win together, you're like everyone's very excited and they celebrate. Um, do people uh, name we, the animals? I, I have had people. Have you name ever had any animals. players do um, that? They named one of the sea turtles Fred, and Fred was swimming along, and they they eventually Fred got killed and they're like, no, we need a new Fred. So they renamed oh. another one Fred too. Oh. Maybe that's why they, maybe that's, you should just put that in the rule book. Like don't name the animals if you don't yeah. want PTSD from yeah. this game. 
So that's it could a, be good though too for interesting, some people, like to add a little bit of uh, weight. Interesting sidebar. Well, maybe it's interesting to me. Um, my wife and I went to this. Uh, oh, what was it called? The Marine Mammal Care Center uh, down in San Pedro uh, here in California, and it's basically where they uh, they find like sea otter, uh, not sea otter, sea lions and seals, and they rehabilitate them and they release them back out into the wild. And I never thought about this. They don't oh, name okay. any of them. Um, they just, they give them numbers. And the reason they don't name them is because they, and they, they also like limit their human interaction because they want them to stay yeah. as wild animals. And so they don't name them so that none of them like form attachments, that visitors don't form attachments. Um, like when they go to feed them or whatever, they like keep their distance. They even put these like big wooden planks in front of them. So like sure. they can't touch them or anything like that. It was super no, interesting. I never really, really thought about that. So with any game, whether it's a video game or a board game, um, you want your players to have an experience that they are going to remember and they're going to want to talk about. Um, and so, uh, I've actually played endangered with Rob Davial, the designer for pandemic legacy. And, he said, you know, some, some designers will play, oh, yeah. will, oh, cool. some designers will design around the theme first. Some designers will design around a mechanic first. Mm-hmm. Rob likes to design around the experience first. What does he want his players to feel? What does he want his players to, uh, to experience? And so when he was designing yeah. pandemic legacy, he was like, yeah, I want people to be like, Oh my God, open this new box. It's, it's, it's a new thing. It stresses me out. Oh yeah. Pandemic legacy opening up the new box. <laughs> Because it's never good. But it's memorable, right? It's memorable. That's yeah. it. That's In that case. <laughs> it is memorable. Yeah. I guess that's good. I mean, I, this is coming from the person who loves Dark Souls games. So right. those are all about stress. Basically, um, you, you don't hate want the yourself. game to be too easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be curious to hear, because you, know, you talked about how um, you grew up in the faith, and that's been an important part of your life. and. Um, you know, grew up as a in the church in a Christian church, and was an important part of life in college and stuff. Does that like your faith perspective inform your game design in any way? Like, is there is, has that? Do you design a certain way because of um, your faith? So, do you have any sense of that? I definitely. Um, I I've mentioned this already that I like games where you help each other, whether it's. Uh, a cooperative game, or even in a competitive game, I like Euro games where you're not trying to screw over everyone else. You actually sometimes get rewarded for helping each other. Um, uh, but even so, um, yeah. as far as my, my my game design, like in terms of theme, um, I would say that my faith has, has not helped a lot. Like, so in, I would say yes on the turn on the side of mechanics, but on, on the side of theme, not so much. Um, you don't see a lot of Christian or religious games. It's it's very niche and sometimes a touchy subject. And so, someone who mm-hmm. who you know is not part of that sure. belief might not be as interested in buying into that theme. It might be a great game. It might be the mechanics might be amazing, um, but the theme. Uh, not so much. Yeah. Well, I think there is, I think there is a connection between your theme and your faith. I mean, you kind of touched on it briefly earlier, but and and sadly, this is like a thing that a lot of Christians today we're not a lot. Well, yeah, probably a lot if we're honest. Um, that have this sort of attitude about the environment. It's like, well, uh, Jesus is coming back, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, who cares about the animals or, you know, oil or whatever. But, but like, I do think there's a case. I, in fact, it's something I believe pretty strongly in that, that like a Christian quote unquote worldview should motivate you to be very like mindful of our planet and very like have a, a conservationist approach that wants to preserve this place and take care of it really well because mm -hmm. it's a gift and, and it's a gift that we can mess up and we have as human beings, obviously, I think messed it up pretty bad. So I yeah, appreciate absolutely. that theme in your um, game a lot. Yeah, we are stewards of this world. So um, I agree. We, we should be driven to not only uh, help the environment as, as it is now, but that helps our, you know, that helps everyone else that helps humanity that helps our future generations. Um, so uh, I find it very important and I find it often strange that there are Christians that have that view that you mentioned where, no, we don't need to worry about the environment. And, and I think part of it comes down to, you know, political divide these days. Um, these days mm -hmm. there's people on the left and there are people on the right and their views on many different topics um there's there's views on many different topics for people that are democratic or republican and what's weird to me is that if you want to call yourself a republican or call yourself a democrat that you have to agree with all of them then so if you want to be a republican then okay then <laughs> yeah. that means you're very yeah. religious and That's that means that you agree yeah. with uh you know the, the nra and allowing guns and it means you you agree with big companies and you're not worried about the environment. And I'm like, why do those all fit together? Like I, I, I consider myself, <laughs> yeah. right. you know, religious. I consider myself a Christian. Uh, but I also uh, believe that we should be working toward, you know, helping the environment. Um, so I, am I allowed to believe something yeah. from both the left and the right? Like, it's very strange to me that um, uh, these days that it's so polarized. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's dangerous. That sort of thinking is really dangerous. Like yeah. you either have to get on board with all of our agenda yeah. or none of it, or you can't be in the club or whatever, you know, like that's really encourages people yeah. not to think for themselves, encourages people not to, um, not to like, want their ideas yeah. and their positions to be improved by the people around them. Like we ought to have this attitude about like, Hey, help me be a better, okay. uh, in, in my views of the environment or whatever, help, help me understand more and know more. Um, and it's sad as a culture that we're sort of like just signing off and like, tell me what to believe and let's sign off on everything or none of it. Yeah. You know? President Obama brought this up in his, uh, um, audacity of hope book that, yeah, it's so polarized these days. Um, and part of that, came about from the uh, the 2000 election, which was so close that mm -hmm. people kind of had to, were forced to pick a side on everything um, and that we're, we're still seeing that today. Like, you know, yeah. I agree with a lot of what um, President Obama did, um, but there are things that President Trump is doing good, except you can't, you can't say that unless you agree with everything. It's either you agree with everything <laughs> that you're nothing, doing man. or nothing. Yeah. And I don't get that. Like, right. I think that, you know, he's a businessman. He knows the economy really well. I think that he's going to do a good job with the economy. But then there are things that I don't like, but I can't. Mm -hmm. But what's weird is that I can't say that. I can't say I agree with one thing 
or disagree with one thing without everyone saying, okay, that means you agree with all of it or you disagree with all of it. Right. Yeah. Right. so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. People are complicated. Yeah. And ideas are complicated and deserve nuance and nuanced discussion. And um, it's, I think, yeah, it's sad that discourse on these things is. This is a so. this is a whole other podcast episode, <laughs> probably. Is. But like, <laughs> yeah. dude, the I th- I think the struggle here is this movement that's happening. Uh, it's probably already happened, but I think we're still feeling the aftershocks. Maybe from like modern thinking to postmodern thinking. You know, like where modern thinking is like, and even I think this is we felt we feel this in like Christian circles, but even society at large, where it's like things are black and white. There's truth and there's not. And truth is not something that's subjective. It's not something that's like, oh, what's your truth? It's like, this is the truth. And that's that modern way of thinking. And now we've moved into this age where it's like, you know, Burger King, have it your way, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily. Uh, there can be bad parts of it, but it's it's the gray area, right? Like we're trying to live in this gray area because we realize how complicated and complex our brains are and our society and culture is that we know there's just not always, if ever, black and white answers to things uh, or, you know, all or nothing kind of extreme approaches like, oh, you're either right wing or you're left wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're just we feel that everywhere, this shift from that modern to postmodern kind of stuff. There's hope, at least, I think maybe that we'll realize how unhealthy that is. I think people already in our day and age, like, you know, I have, um, there's so many things I feel like I can't talk about publicly. Um, (laughs) you know, I think we all feel that way, um, to some degree, but you know, I have these friends that I can't, uh, like Chris is one of those people for me. Like if I can talk to him about stuff and he's not going to be like, Oh, you're an idiot. I thought you were going to say I was one of the ones that you can't talk to things. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. Like I feel like there's, I feel like there's, no subject I can't broach that, yeah. you know, that, that I'm going to be shunned for. It's because I live in California and I'm a hippie. <laughs> so, you know, I we're think like, as whatever, like, bro, go surfing. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So like we're, we're, um, yeah, culturally, I think people are, are finding that personally in their friends and things. And eventually we're going to, hopefully maybe we'll realize how that's unhealthy for our, us, like if, on a bigger scale, but. Anyway, we can't fix that problem now, but what we can do is tell people to go check out Endangered. Yes, yes uh, do. <laughs> That's a step in or the right direction. Agree with the theme or not, it's a fun game. So, yeah. 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 Oh, something I wanted to mention, because I saw this on your Kickstarter page. I don't know if you have anything to say about it, but you you're have some kind of partnership with the Center for Biological Diversity. That's right. Um, so... Uh, we are partnered with the Center for Biological Diversity um, on the Kickstarter page. Uh, one of our pledge levels, um, you can buy a copy of the game. And then uh, for another $20, we will donate a copy of the game to the Center for Biological Diversity, and they will send it to an educational mm-hmm. group or a school. Uh, we don't make any money on those um, second copies. Uh, those are just a donation. Um, so we also... Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, we also um, raised money uh, for every thumbs up that we get on our on Board Game Geek. Um, we're going to contribute a dollar to the Center for Biological Diversity. The the publisher oh, nice. is, um, and then uh, yeah, they they've actually played the game and really enjoyed it. And we're going to make sure that oh, whatever 
content and whatever scenarios we put in there that they play it and and we get there okay that yes what we're doing in this makes sense it's it's mm-hmm. connected to you know what we actually do as conservationists we don't want to put stuff in there that's like you know something like where we're naming the animals right we, we don't do that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're going to yeah, make sure yeah. that they're checking all of our uh you know checking our work so by the time this comes out your kickstarter will have about 15 or 16 days to go April um, and uh so yeah yeah so and you've not yet met your goal so if you're listening to this and this sounds rad do you like go i mean by the time this comes out you may have met your goal but, yeah it's super close yeah we're, but we we're close know, but we have a couple of stretch goals that we're still working on um there's uh yeah we're, we're hoping that uh we get to hit some of those awesome stretch goals so so people just search for Enge- endangered i guess is the best way to find it search for endangered kickstarter. On yep. endangered kickstarter. kickstarter if you search for endangered yeah. kickstarter uh, you can also go to the Grand Gamers Guild website. The publisher is Grand Gamers Guild. Um, yeah, GrandGamersGuild.com. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, or you can just uh, look for the box with the with the tiger on it. <laughs> um, uh, Beth yeah. Sobel did our art. Beth Sobel and Ben Flores, they did an amazing job. Yeah. It looks great. It does look great. It's super just bright and... I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kickstarter's got a few days, got a couple weeks left on it. Um, when do you hope to like have it in people's hands? Um, so uh, March 2020 is the uh, you know the the long term goal. So we're definitely going to have it uh, to people mm-hmm. by then. Uh, but it should be here before then. Um, we're having it printed and shipped over here, so it should be here in the U.S. by November, November 2019. Um, oh, but cool. Cool. Don't quote me on that. It might be, it might be till March. Mm-hmm. Uh, any Kickstarter, uh, you know, you, you do it and then you can actually start, you know, producing the game. Um, but right, yeah. we made sure that all the content is done, all the art is done, all the graphic design is done. Um, so it's not going to be super long. The game is basically, did we fund? Yes. All right. Get it printed. And uh, you said earlier, yeah, I am. Um, I'm at Average Joe Games. That's A V G Joe Games. Uh, you can also email me at joehopkinsgames at gmail.com if you want to talk about endangered, you want to talk about uh, game design, whatever, whatever. Cool. Nice, nice, cool. Any chance you're going to be at Gen Con? Uh, I am going to be at Origins this year. Uh, yep, yeah. I'll be there. Um, yeah, we'll I'll, there, I'll probably be hanging out at the uh, Grand Gamers Guild um, area or the Grand Gamers Academy area. Uh, as far as Gen Con, um, I'm going to Gen Cant this year. So, <laughs> uh, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you got to. So, hey, uh, are you going to try to demo Endangered? Yes, we've Origins? got uh, several blocks set up uh, for endangered. So if you just search on, on, uh, endangered, we're going to be the only ones, uh, demoing it. So you won't, it won't be printed by them, but you can come and take a look at the prototype version. You can come take a look at the preview copy. Uh, yeah. And that'll have all the finalized art and everything. So. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll have to talk because I'll be there. All right. We'll see you there. Perfect. Yeah. We'll come play. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drew Dixon 82. Chris is working or debating <laughs> about whether or not to resurrect so, his Twitter yeah, account. I have one. I just don't do anything yeah, with it. He does not really advertise it because he doesn't post anything. Um, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Love Thy Nerd. You can follow us on Facebook as well. Actually, like us on Facebook. Just search for Love Thy Nerd. And while you're doing that, 
request to join our community, and upon discovering that you're not a robot, we'll let you join the Love Thy Nerd community. Just search for Love Thy Nerd community on Facebook, you'll find it, and you can go talk about nerd stuff with other nerds, and it'll be really nerdy and great. Um, and we have a great, great website, lovethynerd.com, with all kinds of articles that help you understand the value and, and potential of nerd culture, um, as well as we'll do, you know, features on video games, board games, all kinds of things. So if you want to learn about this medium and learn about why it's so great, um, but various mediums and nerd culture, go check that out. Uh, we have a whole podcast network, Free Play and The Pull List are our other two podcasts. Definitely go give both of those a listen. Go review all of our podcasts on iTunes. Go ahead and click five stars if you're, I mean, if you're just thinking about it and you're like, hmm, what number value should I choose in my review? Do five. That's what I recommend. Uh, and, and you can email me, Drew, at lovelineer.com if you want to ask any questions about the podcast or anything like that. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. 